Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to do a song first, and then uh, I'm going to subject you to my words that are not in melody form. <clears throat> red light baby and you know it don't matter if you don't think twice i got two loving arms i can save you if you make it to me in the middle of the night so snap your fingers and tap your toes and keep your eyes peeled baby for them holes in the road and turn it up sweet rock and roll put your right foot down and let the clutch go take a ride at the red light baby and you know it don't matter if you don't think twice I've got two loving arms, I can save you if you make it to me in the middle of the night. Well now, early in the morning when the street lamp's gone and your head's hanging down and your engine lights on well. It's late, but you ain't gotta go home Come on, come on, baby I can help you be strong If you took a ride at the red light, baby And you know it don't matter If you don't think twice I got two loving arms I can save you If you make it to me in the middle of the night Well, I don't claim to be better But I can wipe the mud from your hard-pressed feet you might be thinking that you'd never But if you're fresh in the fight Well, that's all right with me so Take a ride at the red light, baby And you know it don't matter If you don't think twice I got two loving arms I can see If you make it to me In the middle of the night And sometimes them lights, they might blind you 
When you're holding on tight with it spinning in your hand If you don't move fast, they might find you Don't miss your chance, you better run while you can Take a ride at the red light, baby And you know it don't matter if you don't think twice I got two loving arms I can save you If you make it to me in the middle of the night You can take a ride Take a ride at the red light, baby And you know it don't matter if you don't think twice You can take a ride Uh, I'll introduce myself now. Are we still rolling? Did you stop? Yeah, oh, good. Yeah, that's fine. Good, good, good. <clears throat> good. Are we still rolling? Yeah, we're rolling. Oh, sh- shucks. Okay. <laughs> all right, we're still getting set up, and you just had a behind-the-scenes moment if that stays in there, and I suspect it will. But that's all right. It's all right. You know, uh, Jimbo told me one time uh, when I was recording with him in Como, Mississippi, and we actually recorded that song, and uh, he played uh, bongo drums on that one. And uh, this one album that me and David had called uh, Raised in a Barn. It's uh, never been heard. But uh, Jimbo was telling me one time, and you know, I have great respect for Jimbo Mathis, um, that the, and I don't want to call them mistakes, but the asides are important in your work. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that particular song, I wanted to go back and, and do like an overdub on some of the parts and, and come in and say, you can take a right, you know, like after the chorus. And, uh, and I, I, he said many, many poignant things and who knows, maybe in this interview I'll say something, but, uh, I said, and I, he's like, I don't know about doing that. You know, we got it. And I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of like the idea of it, you know, so well, let's do it then. So he, you know, he's, he do what you want. Let's do it. But who are you going to be? And I went back and I did, you can take a right, you know, here and there in it. <laughs> And then we got done, we listened to it, and I said, so, you know, tell me. I was really like, well, you, is it better? Right. You know, I was wanting some confirmation. I was wanting some affirmation that I had made the right decision. This is it better. He says, mm, maybe 25%. Maybe not. <laughs> Whatever that means. But I, I, I get it now, Jimbo, after these years. I get it. Yeah. You know, that particular aside wasn't an aside at all. It was a... Uh, reallocation of uh something i don't know i ask i ask him a lot of questions i I got so much out of that recording session with jimbo that was not musical because you know we locked those doors in como at delta recording service and went for it for 48 hours and and had many conversations and he was candid and he told me the truth and i appreciate that about people especially someone with that great experience and uh had a uh Oh, that's fridge. A time to, uh, you can unplug that fridge if you want to. It's uh, it's the, it's a black one on the bottom. It, it's not gonna, it'll be cold. There we go. Um, I saw Jimbo about uh, I don't know a month ago or something. He played in Jackson. And I got this. He was I, in there. I recently called him and he came on the show. We had a brief interview when he came to the Columbus Art Council and, uh, there's a lot of wisdom 
in Jimbo Mathis. Oh, yeah. Yes, there is. Uh, but, I mean, back to what you were saying back in Jackson. <clears throat> I love that show. And I got there for the last half of his final set, whole set, I don't know, because I had things going on, and I rolled in there, you know. And uh, what a band. Oh, what a sound. It was, mm-hmm. and if you, you know, I've heard Jimbo many times, you know, here and there, especially long before I knew Jimbo at all, you know, back when I lived in Oxford and in North Mississippi, I could I could ease around there and check him out. And let me tell you, like the new show, that to me was the new show, was it was sort of great. With the Dialback band? The new band? Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to forgive me. <laughs> I think it's Matt Patton and all those guys from Dialback. Well, the the... The new—it's not new, but like the sound I heard the other night was—it was—it was it was uncommonly new to me. Mm-hmm. Like the deli- everything with the—he right, was—it was. I mean, that's that, that's invent- who it was. It was inventive. He yeah. had a, an inventive delivery, and 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 like I was, I was shocked in some ways at, at some of the work he was—he had done. Not, I mean, not in a bad way. I was like, this is the the meter of these words is unconventional. Mm-hmm. And they were coming out in an unconventional way. Like, uh, I'm not going to say rap or anything, but there, there, were, there were moments in there of, 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 of uh, refined asides that were spectacular. <laughs> Spectacularly um, shocking, if you've never heard them, the way he was laying out those lyrics. It was like he was giving a, giving a class to me. Yet yeah. again, even from the stage, and he didn't know I was in the building at that time. Uh-huh. I was taking a class at that show from Jimbo yeah. on how to surprise your audience with something new and and old. And uh, and we got around to the end of the show, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, <clears throat> "We got one more song," you know. I'm like, "What's it gonna be?" And he breaks out with Carmelita, you know the, <laughs> you know Carmelita. Uh-huh. Hold me tighter, I think I'm sinking. Uh-huh. Uh, and it wasn't even his, you know, but it didn't matter because it was it was on point. And, of course, I was wondering, I was like, will that in fact be the last song? Like, will he even come back? Of course he came back. <laughs> of course he came back. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, one of the other vocalists that was with him uh, was performed. It was it a girl? Yeah. Uh, Schaefer Lana. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I, if I'm not voice. mistaken, uh, so talented, showstopper. And that was the last song. And I'm like, that's Jimbo Mathis right there. He, he didn't say he gave his last song up because he didn't have to give anything up to that kind of quality. But uh, he helped bring that artist to, to light with the, the the finest moment. The most important moment, if you, the thing people are going to remember, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm like, that's classic mm-hmm. Jimbo, you know. But, I mean, I remember four songs before when I got my Jimbo, you know, right there. Then, uh, you know, after the show, he came around and, and uh, oh, there's lots of funny things I'm not going to relate. But he after the show, he came around, he was, you know, ready to sign or talk. or And let me tell you what, every, no strangers there. Mm-hmm. Everyone that came by, and I stood in the back and let the first wave of people come through and uh 
Some of them got albums. Some of them got merch. He was not selling anything, but he would certainly sell it to you. He was over there available, and mm-hmm. they signed it and everything, and they were complimentary. And finally, <clears throat> you know, I, I I walked up there, and he and he's like, "Hey, I was, I was, Daniel Sharp." You know, I was like, "Hey, you remember me?" Well, of course I do. You know, and uh, everything. And uh, I hadn't anticipated, but you know, we got a photograph together, and. Uh, I'll send it over to it's, it's I love it. I love, love it. You know, we were yeah. both uh, at the end of the show and he's like, what did he say? He's when we first song. He says, you made it down here. I you. And I hadn't, I had not laid eyes on Jimbo since our, well, I won't say since our recording session. Cause I went back and caught him at another show one time after that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I will say another thing about Jimbo since we're talking about him. I mean, we've kicked this thing off and I didn't mean for this to be a whole thing about that. But, uh, after the the first time I connected with Jimbo as a musician, yeah, there's this thing called the Mississippi Sound Co-op, and this gentleman named Reverend Robert Earl Reed, oh yeah, a legend, yeah, was doing this thing where he was bringing Delta and other musicians from around the state together and putting them at bars, and it would be like a variety show, one after another, bang, 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 and uh, this uh, friend of mine, songwriter person that we discussed earlier was uh living at this very cabin now i'm breaking the third wall but this very cabin we're we're doing this interview and that person that friend of mine had got invited to be on the sound co-op oh wow and uh so i wrote out and just came out of course you know i threw my guitar too mm-hmm. and when i got there you know reverend robert o reed was like hey uh somehow Somehow I got to play, you know, I'm sure it wasn't hard, you know, uh, that was the first night I met Jim Ellis and, uh, I played two or three songs. They videoed it. None of it came out. The video was not working something. And after it was over with, we went to the green room next door, which then I later learned was Delta recording service. And the room was literally green. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know. Your memory messes because the point I'm fixing to make is, and, uh, <clears throat> How did Jimbo knew the song Red Light already? And maybe he'd heard me play it that night. Maybe somebody had, I have no clue. But he's like, let's play Red Light, man, on the couch, you know. And I, we, I, yeah. gra- we grabbed uh, guitars off the wall, you know. Yeah. Oh, and there was, they, they were not tuned. They were not anything. But I'm like, okay, this is the measure of a musician. Now I'm going to tune this sucker up and uh, we'll play. I'm playing with Jimbo now. He's going to play this song with me. That's awesome. Yeah. Your song. Yeah. And uh, so uh, he tuned one up, I tuned one up, and we played it on the catch. And you can see there's a video of this. And, and it's still on the internet. And uh, halfway through it, I look up and I saw Rev, who I later became real good friends with. And Rev was then filming it in the green room, which I, and, and I used to be real, maybe I still am a little weird about getting recorded. And we'll talk about that, maybe. I don't know. But uh, you can see me in the video look at the realization of the moment when I'm being recorded and Jimbo's playing lead with me on that last song I did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's great. I mean, for me, I ain't saying it's, I'm great. I'm not saying that, but, uh, but that video is still rolling around the internet, uh, in a couple of places on YouTube. And I think all you gotta do is put my name and Jimbo's in and maybe red light and, and you got it. It come know. up. And it was, it's the first night to jam. First time I jammed with him on that, that couch was probably a bus seat. I think, I don't know. And uh, first time for a lot of things that night. And uh, 
there's something nobody knows about red light is you can go see it's probably got 40 views or something i don't know maybe it's got 100 i don't know oh i know i know i used to have myspace right oh yeah and uh MySpace. i had my, i had red light up on myspace from this recording session david and i had done with uh, mississippi chris sharp at timberview and uh and my that was like my greatest well, not my greatest it was what i was proud of because my myspace red light on old school myspace when it was cool mm-hmm. like i don't even know what it's like now but old school myspace non-existent <laughs> was, was cool man and i had over ten thousand listens on my red light on myspace that's kind of huge for myspace that was huge at that point Ten thousand. Yeah, and I, I mean, think may probably you know I think a thousand would have been. That's how I got MySpace, set up with Delta so. Recording Services. Right through my, I went right to their right MySpace and was like, you know, and Jimbo thought when we got there that because we we're from Philadelphia, he's like, uh, I thought you were from Philadelphia. I was like, we are from Philadelphia, Mississippi. He's like, laughed. He goes, I thought you were talking about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Ah, and uh, I was like, well, it's cool, man. Let's do this, you know. And we, you know, we locked the doors. I remember during our session, someone knocked on the door, and I was like, should should I answer that? I think Jimbo was a little conflicted at that point. It's one yeah. of the few times. And he thought, maybe we should. But we're working here. Maybe we shouldn't. He kind of left it up to me, I guess. I, I, I kind of remember walking over and kind of peeking out the window. And it was some ladies, I don't know, maybe around town. I don't know. Maybe they came by there sometimes to to, to do something, to say hello. Uh-huh. Maybe they had muffins or who knows. It was Who knows what it was. And, and uh that was enough, you know. They were not there. There was not anything necessarily important. I just kind of came back and I got my guitar again, you know. And, mm-hmm. and we continued with the. Uh, that was like five o'clock in the evening, and we uh, continued into the deep, deep hours of the night recording. And uh, and uh, you want to talk? <laughs> no, I mean okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and uh, we recorded my favorite song that me and David ever recorded there. Uh, when I say my favorite, I, it was the. The most authentic thing we have ever we've ever won. Well, it's one of the most, and it's also one of my favorites because David and I wrote this particular song, which I won't play today, but uh, maybe we'll link it or something. I don't think it. Maybe I got it up hidden somewhere uh, for the time being. I'm pretty weird about putting stuff up, and that's probably why I'm how I am. But it's called Freedom Fighters. Yeah, and uh, it was just me and him on, and that. Pre- Jimbo, on that particular album that's never been released, Jimbo played uh, lots of stuff mm-hmm. during the thing, and so did uh, Justin Shaw. And uh, we had lots of cool things put into there. There was there's goat hooves on that album. <laughs> like he's like that needs some goat hooves. I'm like, want goat hooves? Yeah, you want some goat hooves on that song? I was like, I definitely want goat hooves. You know, let's go out to a pasture, right? <laughs> no, he had them on a string. He had oh. goat, he had dried goat hooves on a string that made a clicking noise when you put them together. Oh, wow. Literally, yeah. Crick. And that particular song is called Strong Swimmer. And uh, it has goat hooves on it. Is this is this album still around? It's in the, is it in the barn? It, that particular one I'm talking about is in, that com, is in a computer um, around here. And we can cue it up and listen to it or burn a disc off of it or whatever. Yeah, I'd love to hear it later. Yeah. But, well, uh, heck, we'll, uh, I'll make you, I'll burn you one. Awesome. Yeah, sure. It's it's uh, well, I'll tell we'll we'll I'll tell you about the whole every song in detail. We, yeah, no reason to go into that. I think I've covered all yeah. that. As far and as I, yeah, and I, I like this, and we'll we'll pick it right up. <clears throat> uh, we are, we're in this episode, and uh, 
Let me introduce it. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey. Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan. And to give you a little background on this episode, this pot got stirred well over a year ago when I met Philip Sable and uh, when Philip found what I was doing. And maybe you're a first-time listener, but Porch Talk does a lot of uh, traveling and uh, getting out with musicians who are pro musicians, like legit, and going to them to capture what they do. And when Philip and I, well, we're in a band together now, so I mean, you know how well it went for me and Philip, but uh, he continually plugged a man named Daniel Sharp. <laughs> And we would talk about like the Dartwater days and like, uh, you know, the red light story and talk about Dave. And so like, I'm, I'm someone who is well aware of Daniel just through, uh, story. And now, uh, it's good to pick his brain because a lot of times, uh, Someone who wants to write a song is left in the dark about the art of songwriting. And if you were to sit down and ask a songwriter how to write a song, well, every song is different because every song is a story in a sense, and we're telling a story about what happened. But the beauty of it is, is you never went through what I what happened to me or what I observed, but you can relate to it and you can put your own story with that and that is the beauty of a song like if i were to play georgia or like one of my songs it might hit you different of uh, than what i actually intended when i wrote it and uh daniel i got a lot of respect for your songwriting and uh, on top of that uh just uh i mean just like with the inside scoops of red light i mean, I, i've never heard that and i mean it's coming from Oh, well, that's not it's even... coming from you. <laughs> I've got... <clears throat> I wrote that song years before David and I even played together. And uh, there's a... I've never really... Well, you're going to hear a lot of things that have never really been talked about. But I'll tell... Let me tell you how and why I wrote this song. Yeah. Red Light. All right. <clears throat> the year was something. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a ASCAP competition coming up out at the uh, casino. And uh, I had no idea what all that meant. I just looked at it and said, okay, well, you're supposed to submit a song, you know, and I assumed they needed a radio song. All right, so I said, well, I'm going to write one of those. It's crazy to put it that way, but it's so true. Yeah, well, I assumed that's what they wanted, you know, because I had all these other ones that are in detail, and and, uh, later uh, I was explained to by a a very successful producer that some of my songs were self-serving. Not in a bad way. But so I needed this radio song. <clears throat> I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking about it, and I'm on the way to a gig with a, another friend of mine who's an amazing musician, and uh, pulled up. Was this his, Dave? No, no. This is before Dave. It was actually Jonathan Parkinson. Okay. Um, and we, he and I had this band called J.D. Irish. It was a duet, and we played uh, a whole lot of traditional Irish and Scottish English ballads with some rock and roll and a few originals and and it was real weird, and uh, and and he he uh, is a uh, uh, amazing vocalist, guitarist, percussionist, you name it, is uh, 
production guru uh, like I, we didn't got enough time you know we, mm-hmm. I don't want to bust off on 30 minutes about John one of the most talented people in music that I've ever met in my life mm-hmm. and and we uh, I was playing a gig at a coffee house one time and some dude walks in you know and uh, I was the only one in there except for the owner <laughs> and uh, he comes up after my song and he says uh, hey I dig your stuff whatever you know play two whatever i was like like no you want to play one sure and have a guitar blew me away i was like oh okay now i got it's always how it starts gotta get out with this guy right. so we went along we had our little band jonathan daniel jd irish and our first gig was at a methodist church <laughs> and they put it on and I, we both wish that we'd Is take this a in philly at this time no it was where, near where you at? we were it, it was near <coughs> philly but not in philly we were based in, out of philly we mean philadelphia mississippi philadelphia, by the way mississippi. and so they actually put our uh name up on the marquee is jd irish and we're like that's so cool you know and uh i don't even remember exactly what we played at the at that church but uh it was not anything out of order for a church nor was it in order for a church it was very something it was no irish music we didn't play any irish music that night i thought we played originals that were all sort of safe mm-hmm. we had plenty <clears throat> and uh Anyway, so we're sitting, he and I are going to do a gig. Did you invoke the spirit of ruddy, uh, rock and roll? <laughs> Always. I mean, it's impossible not to. Mm. For, I guess. I mean, I, I think so it. too. If you're being and genuine, I, we're sitting at a red light, and I said, we're going to a gig. He didn't know where we're going. I said, "Take a ride at that red light. Take a ride at the red light." And uh, and we did. And I thought right then I was like, "I got my radio song. I just got to go Take home a ride, ride at the red light." So I went home and I wrote it. <laughs> Take a ride at the red light, baby. No, it don't matter if you don't think twice. And. uh and I actually went to Jonathan's studio at his home in his room. And oh yeah, and by the way, this is funny. The uh, at the the thing said when you bring your song to the show, you mu- if you win, you will be asked to perform it then and there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, does that mean they'll have a PA? Should I bring my guitar? Should I what? So what we did was we recorded it, and uh, in his studio. And, uh, which, of course, is quite different than the the later versions that David and I did. David put his own flavor on it. And uh, and then we did one with no vocals in case they asked me to use a CD once I, once I won. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, th- I'm really, really banking on this. <clears throat> so I've got, uh, like, a karaoke track of that with Jonathan playing electric, and he played drums, and he played bass, and I played this, and we did all that. And I also took my guitar just in case they needed that because I'm ready to you know, I'm ready to win. And I go in there to the ASCAP thing, and uh, it turns out it was also like they had a panel of some great songwriters. Mm-hmm. And while they were there, they were also asking you to sign up for ASCAP, which is a very credible thing to do for anybody in the industry is to sign up for their for a licensing company. And there's a few. There's CSAC. There's BMI. There's ASCAP. You, I'm not endorsing any of them. Mm-hmm. Pick one you're going to do it pick one do your thing you know and it was cool they explained everything about ASCAP and they talked about these famous songs they'd all written and I remember uh, one guy was there and I think he had written a whole bunch of songs for maybe Michael Jackson or something and I was like in awe and then they got around to Mac McAnally oh yeah was on the panel get out of here in a Hawaiian shirt and when he came out I said well, that's worth it. I'll tell you what, this that now it's worth it. I don't know what's fixing to happen, but I was sitting in the front row. I was on the front row on the edge of my seat 
listening to Mac McAnally talk. How old were you at this point? Uh, I'm going to have to think about it in vehicles. <laughs> That's how I gauge my age. But I mm. think, let's see, I was past 24 because I used to say I was Dante Quattro when I was roaming in Mexico, and it was after that. So I must have been, I was, I was in my late 20s. I was in my late 20s. Okay. Could have even been 29. All right. That's the era. And uh, Mike McAnally. Yeah. And so uh, we go through the whole thing. It was, I think it was a couple of days, and you might have had to come back two days. I don't remember. I just remember hearing these stories. And when, when it was over with, um, okay, I'll tell you who won the competition. So they, there's done. They've they've judged by now. Everybody's there's there's a hundred people that had submitted. They're all there. You got to be present to win. You know, they judged out the competition. Announced the winners. Played their songs, uh, none of which were present to win. Uh, and it was clear. <clears throat> not taking anything away from these very popish songs that won it. There was three genres in three places. One of them was pure straight up radio country. Like oh, there it is. That's that's that. That's pure. the winner. Yeah. yeah. Another one was straight up like a rap sort of thing. Not, they're great now, good songs, whatever. Another one was uh, something else like straight up pop. Boom, boom, boom. Uh-huh. These are the winners. Um, and there, none of them are present. And you should have seen all the guitars in the place. Everybody was ready to play that so, one. I mean, just to stop right there, though, mm-hmm. it's like you already knew what to do. You was like, let me do my best radio song. And like, so. <laughs> I went, even then, I, I was like, well, my radio song is better than any of them. I mean, I didn't. Of course, that's... Well, everything. I mean, I think any radio song... But I think what I happened I think was, any song off radio yeah. is better than what's what on. What might but, have happened... Yeah. I'm not sure what happened. But what might have happened is, most likely, in that era, and I don't know how it is now, but they were pre-selected, these winners. Yeah. Because you have people that have been working with ASCAP for a long time, and they need something on their publicity to punch them up to the next level. And they're like, well... Eventually, we're going to let these people win a contest, and that can promote them onto the deal because mm-hmm. we have vested interest in this. And why, like would, why would we American give a winner? Idol why or... would we give a winnership to someone who's not even a member of ours? I, I'm just making this up. I can't tell you that's what happened, but that's certainly what it felt like mm-hmm. uh, when none of them were present to win, and nor were they prepared to play their songs. And I don't blame Mac McNally for that one bit. I, not, I mean, I don't care. Yeah, he didn't have nothing to do with that. Mm-mm. He just gave me the greatest stories of all time, you know? Yeah. He talked about Jimmy Buffett I, in first person. But after it was over with, you know, uh, everybody disappeared except for Mac. They, all the other writers went away. That's fine. Mac walked right off the stage, walked right into the crowd, and he stood there and shook hands and talked to people for as long as they wanted about anything they wanted to. And I saw person after person after person hand him a CD. Well, they all had one because they were ready for it, you know? Yeah. And like, here's my stuff. Here's my stuff. And I was like, oh, they're trying to make it happen. Like, this is this is the cliche. If I could just get my disc to so and so, and and uh, but before that, I was thinking like, man, I'll just give Matt McAnally my disc, you know. And I saw all these people hand, and he was gracious. He was. You could not have told he was not going to go listen to every word of every song. But I'll be willing to bet you he did. Because he had too many, and he had, you know, maybe he did. Maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. Maybe I mean, he it's listened just like to fishing every... for It's just like fishing emails now, you know, like just even with the show. Like, and I'm not nor near his level, but I mean, uh, CDs since we started doing this and it kind of gained prominence is like, you know, from emails to messages to 
male. It's like I'm still going through music. So I mean, have I no? But I, I intend to. But I, I want. I wonder what the intent of that is. It's like, dude, do you think I'm gonna listen to like we're being gracious? We're gonna yeah. hear you out. You're gonna give me a CD, and like literally, it's gonna get lost in the glove box. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just that's just it. But you got to shoot your shot, right? Because you miss every shot you don't take. That's right. I mean, and you know, one in a million of those people got a, ra- a song on the radio because they do that. Probably so. You're there. The CD's there. Why not give him one? Yeah. I probably should have gave him one, but I, if I had given him one, I would have felt like everybody else, and I like to not feel like everybody else. I didn't give him one, but uh, you know, I could have. He might have listened to it. He might have liked it. Who knows? But I, I didn't, and it wouldn't matter. I mean, you know, it wouldn't matter. Well, even if the thing is, even if you do like it, I mean, it's not like anything's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I've played my music to people that are professional, and and they really liked it, and nothing. Still, nothing happened. You right. Know, it's like you. As an artist, uh, the first thing you got to do is is be a professional, and have a product that is marketable and 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 backed up by uh, diligence and professionalism, and and even then, even that's not enough. You got to the here's a couple of questions you're going to be asked by a legitimate source. They're going to say, "How many albums have you sold? Uh, what's your mailing list look like?" Mm-hmm. So if you ain't sold no albums and you ain't got no mailing list. And all you got is the best music in the world. All you're doing is asking someone else to do that work for you when there's a thousand people who have equally good music who have already done that work. So if you're going to be handing your CDs out, if you're going to be sending emails, if you're going to be going around trying to hit the magic magic number, uh, you had better have back already backed it up with work and effort and talent before you ever get there because there are so many so many other people that have already done that and it is just literally if there's some let's say it's a record label they're they'd rather put less work in than more if if someone has a legitimate product they've sold 10,000 records they have 50,000 people on their mailing list and I'm speaking in 20 years ago terms cuz now there's like all the followers I don't understand that I I I got the concept but I don't you know, there are already people that are known quantities who have an instant place to, to for people to buy their work. So if I'm a record label and you come to me and you've sold 10,000 CDs and have 50,000 followers and you're great versus someone that shows up who just walked out of their house and happened to also be great, but has done none of the work. And it like looks at me and says, just claiming to and, be and says, even if they are that good. And they're looking at me and saying, now, here, here's my great work. Now go out and sell me some albums and build me a following because I'm an artist and all I want to do is write. And you, as a record label, you might go, well, the guy before you is equally as good. Mm-hmm. not saying they're better. I mean, everybody's good in their own way. But they already did this work, and we're going we're gonna to make some profit off of them next month. Yeah. It's going to take two years to get you where they're at. And so so a label or a producer has really got to believe really super got to believe in you as a raw nothing anything nothing you know these are my opinions but uh, i mean i i totally i think i'm with that is i think about like with the nature of music where we are now it's like you have a lot of indie labels and then you still have your mass you know corporate record labels that gallop up those indie labels but the beautiful thing about let's just take Fat Possum or uh, Dialback, uh, 
Cornelius Chapel in Birmingham, is they really have a pulse on what good is in that area, or however they find it. Single lock, they did that Cedric Burnside, I Be Trying, phenomenal record. They recorded up in Muscle Shows, you know, Cedric's here, he lives here in Mississippi. And they still have their finger on the pulse of this community and what this music and what this is about. But when it gets to a corporate to where you remove that pulse and like, and I don't blame them for doing, I don't, I don't have, I'm not shitting on anybody for doing this. It's like, Hey, I'm not either. Yeah. Make a little money, sell out your company and like, let it be commercial. Yeah. Go for it, dude. If that's what you can do. But I was like, we're going to keep finding diamonds and they'll never get to the service because we didn't get through the coal. And the coal will be the only thing that gets there. That's right. And, and But behind you over there, there's a piece of cardboard, and it says, Lost or Never Records. Mm-hmm. And uh, Philip, who we discussed earlier, and myself uh, set this cabin up as a studio for quite for a little while. And uh, I coined that phrase, Lost or Never. And the reason being what we're discussing now, that there are so many things out there, artists that are great, whose work will be either lost to time, and I've seen it happen. I've seen my work be lost to time, but the loss to me. I've seen my own work lose, be lost to myself. Mm-hmm. Or either, even worse, it will never see the light of day. So it's the whole never. point of putting the cardboard sign up over my door that said Lost or Never Records was to be a capture place for artists who... Couldn't find big time with a roadmap. Didn't care about it. Didn't never want it. I've been associated with so many of them, and I and they frustrate me. And I'm maybe I'm frustrating too. But uh, lost or never, like let's do, let's get it mm-hmm. before it's lost, or even worse, before it is never. You know, so that sort of worked its way back around the uh, all, all the way around to to that. Well, let's uh, let's let's back it up to like just introduction. Is um, Daniel like of uh, where was you raised? Right here? Uh, yeah, in part. I mean, I was born here in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Uh, and uh, my youth, uh, I traveled around with my parents. My dad was a union sheet metal worker, so that took him to other states. Mm-hmm. And I remember lots of uh, elementary schools and other places, uh, Goose Creek, South Carolina, uh, um Washington, Indiana, a few times. Uh, somewhere in Ohio, I can't remember the name. Um, lots of places on the road. And then I would come back here for a year of school. Mm-hmm. And I would go back out there for a year of school. And uh, and so I got a really unique uh, perspective and upbringing with different cultures and different people and, and, and how things were being, being new, being the new person. And uh, maybe I developed some something some mechanism for yeah because I, I didn't want to base like asking that question on like just music or you traveling but i mean you did a pretty good job of opening the door is like because you've done quite a bit of traveling for one and uh musically involved and we'll get into some more of what you're involved in yeah and then say when i was you know got to around in my teens like i landed here mm-hmm. uh and got involved in the uh organized band at school I was percussionist. 
I later was the drum captain. I later was the band captain. I went to college on a percussion scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, won the John Philip Sousa uh, one time. Um, so I was really into that, and that was, you know, real crucible. I might use that word again. And uh, had this epic band director who was, like, totally militaristic. And uh, he's in one of my songs called uh, Double Edge of a Sin. Yeah, and I th- think... Uh, could be on the Jimbo record, maybe. I know the song is. I don't know if I called out that band director, but uh, and uh, he was a taskmaster. I mean, and I got a lot of my work ethic from that. Now, but as musically speaking, though, I was a musician long before I joined organized band. How'd that start for you? My mother is a records. Or? She, she's a she's a phenomenal musician. Oh, she plays keys. She plays piano, and in her youth. She classically trained? She, no. As a matter of fact, uh, the opposite of that. Like, she just plays by ear. And uh, when she was a kid, uh, they bought her a piano, and she carved her name into it. It's still up there at the old house. And uh, she played at church. Of course. And uh, one time, the uh, preacher came around and said, uh, Patty, please don't put the boogie to it today. And she said, I told him, she says, but they give more money when I put the boogie to it. She was a kid still and I already figured that out. And, uh, so they gave her piano. She has natural talent. Mm-hmm. I, I'd liken her sound to Jerry Lee Lewis. Wow. And, uh, so she played, she took some lessons for a few months mm-hmm. and, uh, they had a recital and, uh, at the church, I think it was that maybe it was at the community hall. And uh, everybody came. My grandparents came, and and the the she says that the piano teacher didn't like her because she was unstructured and and out of the box, and she couldn't get her to do what she wanted her to do. Mm. So she gave her this funeral dirge to play, bum, 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 and it went on like that. And she she'll play it to this day, bum, 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 bum. And then she's supposed to, at the end of this, bomb, 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 bomb. Real simple. She's supposed to get up, take a bow, walk off. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, she might even say, the devil made me do it. She says, but uh, I couldn't stand it. At the end of that dirge, she walked it up to, bomb, 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 and it hit the boogie. And the whole <laughs> place came alive. Uh-huh. And uh, they, uh, and when she got off, the piano instructor was on one side of the stage just waiting to just bless her out, you know. And she said, she took that bow and she walked off the other side of the stage. Mm-hmm. And the piano instructor came to my grandparents and said, uh, I will not teach her anymore. She cannot do this. She is not going to be a piano player. And then she later, she of course was. Yeah. And so my whole youth. She's uh, so punk rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was punk rock before it was even known what that yeah. was. And uh, so my whole youth was spent, uh, she had me singing. We'd spend these long, long drives from here to wherever we was going to work. And I would, so little, I would stand up on the truck seat in the middle. There was no seatbelt stuff going on. Did your parents then. always commuters? No, when I say we were driving there, we were driving there to our new home. Oh, okay, okay, I see. And our, our home or our apartment. Mm-hmm. In these, and we would drive back to Mississippi and we would drive back on these trips. Mm-hmm. And I would stand on the seat, and my head would not touch the top of the cab. And I would stand between my parents, and I would sing either with the radio or I would sing without the radio with all these songs that she'd taught me. 
Mm-hmm. We're talking like Don Williams and Marty Robbins. Mm-hmm. These are the, and I did have a record player and I had these records and I burnt those records up and I knew every word. And then later when I was old enough to buy my own records, this is, I was still in the record era. There were no cassette tapes at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was on the cusp of that. When I got into my 11, 12, 13, whatever, we got tapes, you know, and I still love records, but, uh, yeah, I'd stand on the truck seat and I would sing these and, uh, and, uh, she tells a funny story that she says, uh, we're driving one time and she says, uh, I looked right at her and says, uh, cause she'd always tell me, you know, when I die, I want you to sing at my funeral. And this is to a child. I didn't know what that meant. But I looked at her one time and she says, and she does it in like this, I had this draw, Southern draw, Southern draw. She says, mom. She says, yeah. I said, figured out what I'm going to sing at your funeral. She mm-hmm. says, what is it? And I broke loose on this, this song. Uh, Daddy was a preacher and mama was a go, go girl. <laughs> and uh that was funny and uh, i remember singing the song eastbound and down loaded up and trucking uh, it was one of my favorites i'd seen that movie you know yeah and uh she uh played one time she was playing in a bar up on a hill and uh loretta lynn came in no way and she got to play with loretta lynn at this honky tonk one time and uh she tells a great story what part of the world? Like we I was in Meridian, wow. Mississippi. She, Loretta wasn't there to play. She was Loretta there. was there after one of her shows. Yeah, and uh, that's cool. And uh, so that's where the hook got in me. And I remember uh, I went to kindergarten for the first year, and we had to paint a picture of what we wanted to be in our career. Mm. And I painted a picture of a musician singing. You know, that's what I was going to be. Mm-hmm. No doubt in my mind. That was it. That was it for me. I never considered anything else. So much later, you know, I had some considerations when I grew up in the world a little bit. But but uh, I never actually did anything uh, to the best of my, that, that suited me so much. It seems like every time I, like when I lived in Oxford, you know, I went to school. I went to mm-hmm. Ole Miss for a while. I didn't get a degree there. Unfortunately, I, I, but I'll tell you what, I played in a lot of bars, you know, I had a great time. I met many great musicians and, and had some great times. And like when I went to community college, uh, <clears throat> first thing I did after high school and I went to community college on a full scholarship with music and this and that, that and the other, and I had a little small ACT scholarship and this. And I remember like, I found out there were these bars way out in the middle of the woods where college kids went and they had to be 21. And now none of those bars are open anymore, so don't go looking for them. Yeah, don't go trying. Yeah, they ain't out there. If they are, I don't know about them. But, but these particular ones are long. They're, they're either closed or they're raised to the ground. But I found a few of them. I mean, I, I found them right away. And I remember walking right up to the... Uh, owners and saying i'm a musician and i got a band i didn't have a band but i said i got a band and we want to play here and we want to play on wednesday night and uh and then i they okay you got it you know well you can work for the door mm-hmm. it was uh i don't know five or ten dollars a head okay we'll do that and then i went went and i had some this is i've skipped a band or two in my story but i had a little opa system and some junk and so i got it together and then i went around and i got some musicians and uh I remember one of them only played electric and I'm like, man, we're, I've got acoustic. You've got to have an acoustic electric. And I thought you must have one. He yeah. went out and bought him one, which he never played once at the show. He, he was so good on electric. He could play it behind his head. And, uh, 
and we got a drummer and we got a bunch of vocalists and we just went in there and jammed it out and I got a guy to work the door for us. It was a friend of ours and paid him 20 bucks for staying up there all night long. And the first night, uh, I made a thousand dollars. I equally split it up with the whole band. I thought to myself, this is great. You can just go to a bar and make a grand anytime you want. Mm. Well, little did I know that is actually not the truth. You mm. may not just go to a bar in the middle of nowhere and make a thousand dollars anytime you want. But in those days, since it was a college bar in the middle of nowhere, you could make a thousand dollars. And uh, we did that a long time. And uh, I believe that we jokingly called our band the Cat Daddies with a K. <laughs> and I don't even didn't know what that meant. Nobody, I don't I still don't know why we did. Yeah. There was a bunch of stupid, funny names. But uh, that was a block building that particular one but we played several of those little places and we made tons of money to the point that anybody that was a musician tried to get up and wanted to play with us so they could get their two hundred dollars you know for some poor college kid and, and we'd deal it out we'd dish it out to them if you got up and played a few songs we had a few people just sing two or three songs they got two hundred dollars too you know that's good um i believe in that um Open mics and open jam nights, and I want to plug, I think there's a great thing going on in Jackson, Mississippi. I think it happens on uh, Wednesday night. Is uh, It's not just an open mic, it's an open jam. Hmm. And they'll have the seasoned musicians of Jackson playing. And if maybe you're new to the city, or maybe you know, you're a learning musician, here's your opportunity to step up on the stage with the pro. Right on. And here's your opportunity to learn. And, like, you have to cut your teeth. And I remember being, like, a teenager in young 20s, and, you know, I just I knew everything. There wasn't nothing you could tell me. And then when you get out there in the world, I mean, this is so different. It's like, as far as, like, how music works, and even now just by doing the show, it's like I've learned a lot about how music works. And it varies from town to town, to state to state, and what works, what doesn't work, and how you do it, and how you sell. And uh, I believe those are important for musicians. But like, there's a there's a certain sense of uh, narcissism, and there's a certain sense of arrogance uh, that will always come with the territory, and uh, you have to flirt with it. But I, I, you know, it's I hope it doesn't take you over because. Uh, take all you can from these moments in your youth when you're coming up to be like what you drew in kindergarten was a working musician is we get, we have to learn, man. I mean, like that's a hell of a story on cutting teeth, you know? Oh, I, one of the first concerts I went to was, was uh, Kenny Rogers when I was, <laughs> what uh, better? I was uh, in first grade and this was in Macon, Georgia and Kenny Rogers came around. My mother took me to see Kenny Rogers and, uh, Oh, he, he killed it. He killed it. I remember I was I was on edge. I was like, that was it. I wanted to be, you know, and then I heard him on the radio. I was like, Kenny Rogers. He is the man. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, that was good. And, uh, you know, saw so many people at the fair, which I'm now talking about the Neshoba County Fair. We, we recently experienced it. Right. I, I got That's one right. day out of two weeks and uh, this time next year. I plan to be there for the whole thing because that shit was a blast. News and 
notes. If you haven't done so already, I would ask that you would rate and review the show on whatever podcast app it is that you listen to. Um, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look for the logo. Look up Porch Talk 101. You'll find it. It's part one of four. Here comes part two. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.